The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, hey, we're going to continue in the gospel of Luke. And um, we've, been, we've been in Luke for a while, but where we're at, where we find ourselves right now is Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem. And, and really what that means is he's heading towards his death. But along the way, he never misses an opportunity to uh, continue to do the work of making disciples. Once again, disciples are not born. You're born again, but a disciple is made, right? And Jesus has been working with his, his 12 apostles, but he's also been working with many of the disciples that are following with him right now. So keep, we're in the middle of a long discourse in chapter 13, okay? And... Um, and, and it goes from 12 the whole way to 13.9. That's where we find ourselves in this scripture. By the way, I was supposed to read the scripture. Normally someone else does that. I'm going to do that now. So go to Luke and go to Luke 12. All right. And let me find out where we're at here. I brought up my little iPad thing here. And we're in 13. Right. That's correct. Yes, 13 to 21. So let me read that, and then we're going to get right into the, to the sermon. So it said, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, this is our word for today. This is where we find ourselves in that discourse. And so... Let's work. Let's get to work. We're going to start in verse 13 and 14. Here's what I want you to know. Throughout this whole discourse, Jesus is, is going between disciples and crowd. Disciples and crowd, right? Last week, it was, it was he's talking to the disciples. But now someone in the crowd interjects. And look what he says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> but Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Listen, we don't get a ton of information here on this guy, um, but he's coming to Jesus because he's got a family dispute, right? My guess is he's a younger brother. In that culture at that time, the older brother would get the inheritance, and he would actually get two-thirds of it. And it sounds like, and I don't think it's a leap to say, this guy thinks he's got short change. And maybe he did. We actually don't know. But he's coming to Jesus because of what he perceives to be an injustice, Okay, and he's asking Jesus to, to intervene. 
Now, at that time, inheritance disputes were, were very common, actually. Uh, it would not have been unusual for a complaint uh, to be brought to a religious leader. It might seem strange to you now, but then it wouldn't have been, right? Because they, they embraced the Mosaic law, uh, which was civil, it was criminal, it was ritual, and it was moral. Okay, so this fits under that. So he's coming to Jesus, and he's looking for help. But what's really interesting is this man doesn't ask Jesus to mediate the dispute, right? Look again. He, he says, he's essentially saying, take my side. Take my side. I need you to advocate my case. And Jesus is like, well, I mean, I know your case, man. Why are you telling me to do your dirty work here? He's assuming he's in the right. He's assuming that Jesus should fix this perceived injustice, and it may be an injustice. But I love, it's hilarious that he's bossing Jesus around. He's like, come do this, right? Um, he, he's asserting his, his desire, but he's asking Jesus to assert his authority for his case. We're a lot like this guy. We really are. As I read this text, I'm like, oof, right? We, we think we see so properly. When, like, we're always the one who are, it's, we've been sinned against. It's our injustice. Jesus, you just need to rain some fire down upon them because they <sighs> sinned against me, right? We, we love to think like that. Um, but really, we, we don't see that clearly oftentimes. It's why it's very helpful to go to someone to, to maybe have a, an objective view, Right? But that's not what this guy's doing. I mean, this guy is asking for Jesus to fix the problem without even saying, hey, come here my side. Come here my brother's side and then help make a decision. He's like, nope, I got this right. You need to come do my work. But he's crying for help. This guy's crying for help. But Jesus, notice, he refuses to play his reindeer games. He refuses to enter in to that. Why? That's because it's not what he has come to accomplish. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost, right? He knows this man does need help, but the help he needs is not exactly what he sees as his greatest need, as his greatest problem. Jesus is going to reveal that to him, and he's going to talk to his disciples about that, right? The, the help he really needs is he needs to have himself exposed to his greater need. He thinks money is going to fix his problem. You ever thought that? I have. He thinks just a little bit more, and then I can be content. If I just have bigger barns, <laughs> then I'll be safe. Now, this is really his biggest problem, but he doesn't see it. And, and here's the, the, the great thing about our Lord, is instead of in solving the, the conflict that we think is most necessary, Jesus, man, so kindly will reveal that we have a far weightier problem than how much money we're getting out of this, this, this fight. By the way, he doesn't even care about the fact that his family's separated right now, that these two brothers, right? You ever been part of that? It's horrible. I remember watching my, my dad's family, uh, all seven of them just get shredded after grandma and grandpa died because they were fighting over nickels and dimes. And I just remember my dad just saying, I, I don't want any of it and you can have it. I don't know what heart that came from. It might have been a great one. Could have been just frustration. Who knows? But we went from having a family that got together every Thanksgiving with about 80 people at the, at the basement where we would have all the fire hall tables and chairs and you name it, to now all seven of the kids having their own family. Why? 
because of some, and my, my, my grandparents weren't rich, <laughs> right? It was just pathetic. It happens. What's going on there? Well, covetousness, the desire to have more, the not being content with what God has given, right? There, there are a lot of times we might come to the Lord and we want the Lord to fix our problem. But here's the deal. Many people want Jesus to change their circumstance, but they actually don't want Jesus to change their heart. And that might be you. i got to tell you, that was me in a church setting for quite some time, right? But the Lord is patient and the Lord is kind, and He will gladly reveal to you your greatest need if you ask Him. So even now, as, as we're looking at this text, you may ask Him, Lord, help me see. <laughs> help me to see what is my greatest need. Help me to see the areas where you just need to bring my heart in alignment with the truth of your word. See, Jesus has come to bring a different kind of help to this guy. And so let's look at it. Look at verse 15. He said to them, he said, now he's talking to his disciples now. He's switching gears. Now the crowd may hear it too, right? But he's definitely talking to his disciples. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, the word covetousness here means to lust after more than one's fair share. It's to mean that I don't think God's given me my, my fair share. I need more, Lord, right? And, and this happens all the time. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? God said, you, Adam, Eve, you can enjoy all the trees, all the fruit of all the trees, but this one tree, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of it because the day you do, you will surely die. And, and it says that Eve desired the fruit because it was pleasing to her eyes. The word pleasing and, and desired there is coveted. She, she had access to all the trees. I just need one more. There's only one left. And that one leads to death. Yeah, I know. Right? Take and eat. But, but here's the thing. Notice it says all covetousness. All. It means you can, you can lust after money. And that's primarily what this is about. Actually, I'd say it's more about comfort. But you can desire all sorts of things in a way that you should not. To covet is to be discontent with what God has given you. Um, how do you know you might be involved in a coveting heart? Well, envy, right? You see what other people have. You start to envy them, right? Um, Self-pity is a Big, big radar. It's on the heart, like, burnt, 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 self-pity. Oh, poor me. I don't have enough. This, that. Grumbling, murmuring. All of these things are on the dashboard of your heart saying, warning. He's saying, be on guard. By the way, this message isn't for someone else. <laughs> Why? Because I know the human heart. Why? Because the Bible says the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can even begin to understand it? So if you think, man, I wish Jim was here. Jim's not here. You're here. Help me here, right? Because we all drift towards this. Um, coveting is not simply wanting. It's actually an idolatrous longing, longing, desiring, thinking. It, it controls you. You could be longing for more beauty, more wealth, approval, popularity than you currently have right now. This is what leads people to, to inject a bunch of stuff in their face, right? Why? Because they hate wrinkles. And, and, and what do they want? They want beauty there. By the way, if you've done that, it's fine. Whatever. But, but all they're doing is 
they're trying to escape what? Death. Death. That's what they're trying to escape. You know, within this past uh, year, the Wall Street Journal reported what the University of Chicago had found out about the shift of American values over the past quarter of a century. And I, I find it interesting, but not surprising. Listen to this quote. The percentage of American adults who view patriotism, religion, parenting, tolerance, and community involvement has all declined. Every one of them. All of them. The only priority that grew during this time was one thing. You know what it was? Is money. Everything else declined, money went up. Now, here's, here's the, the truth, though, that, that you, by faith, I hope you'll believe. It doesn't work. And, and here's the mistake you all make. It would work for me. <laughs> Just hope I wouldn't have scratch off, right? Powerball. Come on, Jesus. Come home. I would be generous. It wouldn't bother my soul. You know, Jim Carrey uh, one time was given an address to a college, and he says this. He says, I wish everybody would get rich and famous and get everything that they ever dreamed of. Now, it would be great if you had a period there, but he doesn't have a period there. He says, so that they can see that's not the answer. Now, this is a lost man, unless something's happened that I'm unaware of, right? This guy has a major bank, right? Um, and he's saying, I got it. I got so much money. My money makes money. I don't need to do anything else. I got fame. I, it doesn't make one happy. That's what he's saying. Do you believe that? Uh, see, here's the thing. We, all, we often think this text picks on rich people. But, but it doesn't. Greed can work in poor people's heart, too. I know greedy rich. I know greedy poor. I know righteous rich. I know righteous poor. And sometimes you don't have a clue because you don't know what's going on in someone's heart. I remember one time when we were just early planting this church, we got a check that for us was like, oh, wow, like 38 bucks. Just kidding. But it was big. And, and we were excited. And I remember just someone saying, wow, how generous. And I said, maybe. I mean, I'm thankful for it, but we, we don't know what's generous. We should never pretend we know what is generous. Only God knows the generosity of a heart because he sees the heart, right? But here's what I'm telling you. We all love money. Why? Because we believe money brings about peace, contentment, happiness, security. It's so much more about comfort. I'd be less anxious if I had more money and could pay my bills. Maybe you would be, or maybe be anxious about other things, right? Money's not the answer. That's, that's what's being said here. And you hear that and you say, yeah, but it won't happen to me, which I think is laughable because we live in a society that's built around just a little bit more would make you happy. Just how much more? Just a little bit. Just a little bit, right? And in order to prove my point a little bit more, <laughs> I could have a class um, a night where we're going to talk about how to have better marriages, how to work through conflict of marriages, how to have more obedient children, how to, you know, how to discipline in the Lord, right? How to have flourishing friend groups, have better careers, more money, how to be, a, well, let's put a church spin on it, be a good steward of this money that God has given you, on and on. And it would be attended pretty well, pretty well. I could I could imagine many of you would show up for that night. But if I had a class on the danger of greed, I'm guessing we would have leftover popcorn. 
I'm just guessing. Why? Because the mistake you think is this is for someone else. This ain't for me. I'm not greedy. <laughs> uh, we're wrong to think this is someone else's problem. This is my problem. This is your problem. Why? Because our heart was made to worship. And if we will not worship Jesus fully, finally, and forever, we will worship things in creation right? And, and don't think that just because you've come to know and to love Jesus that your heart isn't prone to wander towards the things of this world. It is. But the good thing is, is we have a God who will just continue to draw us back, continue to help us. Here's, here's what I want you to know, though. The Bible doesn't think this is some obscure problem out there. The Bible reveals, listen to this, in Exodus 20, 17, that God has delivered as the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And you might be thinking, donkey, right? Like who's covening a donkey? Well, the new version of the donkey is the BMW. And I noticed that I like those. I'm probably not going to have one, but they're really sweet looking, right? I see a few of them in my neighborhood and I'm like, oh, I bet it's really fast. I'd like to take it for a drive, see how it corners, right? I'm coveting many times in those moments. Solomon once said, we went through Ecclesiastes last summer, and, and this was the thing that, that God was just dr driving home, that only he can satisfy a heart. But Solomon once said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is all vanity. I mean, all throughout the Bible, what we will see, First Timothy says, for the love of, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil right? Money is not evil. Money's neutral. It's what you do with it. It's, it's the love of money, right? And so when we worship money, when we hope it brings us only the things that God can bring us, that you're, you're coveting. And, and to be clear, to, to want such things, um, it's not wrong to want such things. I think many times we get this so messed up in church. And then you start to, to feel bad. I was talking with some friends of mine this week. I said, I call it David Platt guilt, right? It's when, it's when you stop going to Starbucks so that you can give $4 to some need, right? And I feel better about myself. If you don't get that, no one did because none of you are laughing. Uh, I get it. But it's when, it's when sometimes a preacher will get up there and they'll open up the Word of God and you start to feel bad because you went and you bought a croissant this week. You can buy a croissant this week and enjoy the croissant to the glory of God. But, but the problem is, is when you're bitter and you're downcast because you don't have certain things, right? It's Chances are your desire in that moment has become idolatrous. It's, it's saying... God, you're not being fair to me. I deserve. Now, you wouldn't say it that way, but that's what happens when you're angry and bitter about the circumstance that you're in. I just need a little more. And all of that, by the way, if that's happening in your heart, is a cry for help. The answer is not to get those things. It's, it's not. If you get those things, your heart will just move on to something else. See, when you feel that temptation rising up, and I'm telling you, you, if you're paying attention, feel that temptation, then, then what do you do? Well, by God's grace, you, you repent and you run to Jesus and you remind yourself that he's the treasure of my life and that everything I have right now is from his hand. And God, help me be thankful. 
Help me be thankful. Help me to be content. Create a heart in me that is content with what you've given. And this is why Jesus is saying to his disciples there and here, right now, be on your guard against all covetousness. Be on guard. Be alert. Be vigilant. Right? Be on guard about lusting after more money against lusting after your neighbor's clothes, against lusting after the people on TikTok and their clothing and all the things that are just flying past your face and how everything's just so aesthetic. And you're like, my life's not aesthetic. Welcome to real life. Welcome, just welcome to real life. The pressures we put on ourselves to present to the world something so that we can get a pat on the back or a like or a love or a whatever is slavery. It's just slavery. Be on guard. Be on guard about these things. About wanting your neighbor's house, truck, camper, spouse, education, career, children, yard. Oh my goodness, yard. Intellect, health. <laughs> you know, one way you can fix that is come live at Sydney Street. You'll have the best looking yard no matter what. <laughs> and you don't have to treat it. Just mow the weeds. And it'll look good. Why? Because no one cares about their yard in Sydney Street. I try to. I'm ready to quit too. <laughs> it's been said that comparison's the thief of joy. You ever heard that? But I want you to know, it seeks to steal more than that from you. That would be great if that's all you lost. But, but that's not what's being said here. Jesus says, listen... Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Do you believe that? Do you believe that material excess will never make you happy or fulfilled? It's a lie. That's what the Bible is saying. Do you believe that? Why? Why does it matter if you believe that? Because it has serious consequences. And look, and I... I want you to feel the weight of the text because the weight of the text needs to be felt. Listen to what Jesus says. He now he's going to tell a parable. And here's the parable. Ready? Verse 16, chapter 12 of Luke. He told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, listen to what he thinks uh, to himself. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This is a good problem to have, Right? And, and he said, I, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there, will be, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Every one of us would love that. That is called the American dream. Right there. That's, that's it. That's the American dream right there. The parable is fairly simple, right? I don't think it's very. I think it's very simple. A fertile field makes this dude rich, and consequently, he now has a false sense of security and control. That's the point. But here's the thing: the rich man gives no no acknowledgement to God for any of these blessings. <laughs> oh, blessings come in many shapes and sizes. By the way, just look at the language. There, there are five mys. Right? My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. My, my, my. Me, me, me. Toby Keith, years ago, sung a song. I just want to talk about me. I won't sing it for you. Wasn't excited about it. Wasn't a great song. But he got it. 
this man is all about me. Not God, not anyone else. It's about me. It's all that matters, me. Whew. This story also contains six eyes, right? Right? This man's totally self-absorbed. Totally self-absorbed. And here's the thing. Hebrews knew, Jewish people knew that everything belonged to God. They, they knew that, right? We see this in Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein, right? Psalm 50, 10 through 12 says this. For every beast of the forest is mine, God says. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. This is what he says. God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He owns everything. Where our friends are seeking to reach people with this good news, there's not one inch of that land that God doesn't say mine. There's not one inch of those people that he doesn't say mine. They're made in God's image, right? He knows them. He loves them. He's in control of all things. And this fool, and we're like this fool, we say, me, I, me, I. In the end, this man didn't place God at the center of his life. He placed himself at the center of his life, and that's a recipe for disaster. That's what we see here. Here's the big problem. His, his barns bursting at the seams isn't his problem. His problem is his soul's bankrupt. His barns are full. So much so, he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll tear them down and I'll build bigger ones. <laughs> full. We do this, though. I mean, i I'll never forget when we, we sought to move from the big city of Elderton, population of seven, and we had a house, and it wasn't a mansion by any means, but it was nice, right? And so we, we had a two-car garage, and we had all this stuff. And I'm like, well, where we're moving to doesn't have a garage, right? So we got to get rid of all this junk. But here's the funny thing. In our two-car garage, we only had one car in that two-car garage. Why? Because we had other junk on the other side. This isn't for someone out there. It's really not. Bless you, Meg. Bless the rest of you, right? <laughs> this guy has a false estimate of blessing. That's what's going on. He assumes that his primary reason for existence is to collect and to store up his gifts. See that? He has a, a false estimate of time. Notice he says, for many years, I am safe. I am good. He has a false sense of purpose. As he says to his soul, take it easy, <laughs> right? Get your little Mai Tai, get your cigar, love cigars, right? But, he, but you know what the real problem is? He has a false sense of control. Why do I say that? Because he says, you have many good things, therefore relax, eat, drink, be merry. This dude's talking to his soul. That's interesting. That's interesting. You know, we, we are physical, right? Mind, body, soul, right? Like all these things. But anymore, you hardly ever hear anyone talk about the soul. We just treat the, the mind and we treat the body and all these different things. We never talk about the soul. This dude's talking to his soul. And he's saying, we're good. 
We're good. Here's the thing. Jesus said, it's not good. It's not good. Your soul is barren. Your soul is bankrupt. You're rich here on earth and you are bankrupt in heaven, right? So look what God says to, and Jesus says in 20 and 21, he says, but God said to him, remember, it's a parable, full. Full. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here's the big lie America wants to, to, to have you believe, that securing your economic future means you're secure. It's a lie. I'm not saying you shouldn't save. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an IRA and put Roth in front of it. I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is this man thought he was secure, that his future was secure, but it's not. Why? Why was his, his life not secure? Because death inevitably comes for all of you, including me. It comes for all of us. And that's what he's trying to escape. He thinks he's good. He's just going to relax. But the Bible over and over and over says there's one thing that is secure, and that is the wages of sin is death. And, and death, and by the way, you're all sinners, which means you're all going to die. You're already dead if you're not in Christ. This is what the Bible teaches. Spiritually dead. Not just, not, we're not talking physically. That will happen. But apart from God's saving grace, you and I we're born into death. We're born into Adam. We need to be born again. We need to be born into Christ. We need to be given a heart that actually longs for and loves Jesus. Because by nature, our hearts do not. They do not. And we, we don't like to talk about death. Oh, Americans don't like to talk about that at all. Most people don't like to talk about that. But Americans in particular, and that's who we're talking to. We just don't like it. It's kind of bringing me down. Right? But the Bible over and over, James 4, 13 through 14 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what will come tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Some of you are so young that you don't necessarily believe that. But James is putting his finger on the uncomfortable truth in this text. And that is, we don't know what our future holds. Here's the thing. I hate to tell you, you're all one phone call away from your lives changing in a way that you just don't want them to. At, at the age of 22 years old, I think that's right, my life changed drastically when a drunk driver hit me and I broke 18 bones. My mom and dad were getting ready to fly to Florida, and I remember just saying to the paramedic, all hopped up on morphine and getting ready to go take a hel helicopter ride. There's one way to get one. Uh, <laughs> call my parents, because they're going to Florida, and I really want them here. My life changed in an instant, okay? Now, praise God. It actually changed for the better. Why? Because it was through that tragedy, which actually I wouldn't even say is a tragedy, that I actually realized I was made for something greater than I'd ever been living for, and God revealed his love to me. So I love my 18 broken bones, and I love my limp. It reminds me of his grace every day. But you're all one phone call away. You're either going to be the subject of the phone call, or the phone call will be because of you. And you think, no, that's not true. It's true. As Christians, we, we know where we'll be in a million years right? 
Why? Because it's, it's secure in God's hand, right? And he's told us about it. But I got to tell you, you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Why? Because he's not told you that. He's not told you that. Death is a subject many people don't like to think about because it reminds us we're not in control. And I got to tell you, everybody's trying to control everything. And, and next week, we'll get into it even more. Whether it's diets, whether it's parenting, whether it's your algorithm, whether it's this, whether it's that, whether it's finances, exercise, you name it. All of them are preaching the thing that if you just do this, if you lose enough pounds, if you go here, you do that, you look pretty, you'll be safe. Your beauty could be taken from you in a minute. And if you were like me, you weren't born with any. So you can't lose any. Oh, my mom hugged me enough. I'm fine. (laughs) I'm just telling you. These lies pervade your thinking all the time. Boy, if you just get the right degree, you get the right career, then you'll be happy. Maybe. Maybe you won't. Maybe you won't. You may not even see the sun set today. I, that's a terrible thought for you, right? But can I just tell you right now, it's, it's the truth. It's the truth. You don't know. The life's a mist. I remember going to Maine and watching the mist just hover over the ocean and the sun would come up and the mist was gone. That's us. That's us. That's what Jesus says. It's profoundly unsettling and one we seek to avoid, but, but i got to tell you, there's, there's beauty here, if you'll be given eyes to see. We frantically plan every detail of our lives anymore. Seriously, look at your calendar. Um, business trips, family holidays, weekend, seeing friends, um, how many hours we work, the projects that we plan on taking on, housework, homework, all these things are planned as if it's just assumed that it'll happen. I remember uh, when the pandemic let loose, I was planning to go on a mission trip to visit a people that I longed to visit to bring and teach the Word of God, and it got shut down three days before. You don't know. You, you just don't know. And it all, here's the thing when we do all this kind of planning, it just gives us a false assurance that we're somehow in control. Now, you got a plan. You got a plan. I'm not saying don't plan, I'm just saying hold them loosely. Hold them loosely. Why? Because, God, you're in control of all these plans. And then here comes Jesus, James, the Bible. And what's he do? He just throws a cold cup of water in our faces. And he says, you don't know what will happen. You don't, you don't have a clue. You and I, we're so fragile. As humans, we're fragile. Our emotions, our bodies, we're easily afflicted. He says, be on guard against the deceitfulness of riches. Be on guard of wrongly assuming that you've got this stuff under control. And, and, and I guess here's the thing. Think about this. If our planning and our living and our worrying and our wringing our hands and all these things is no different than that of the lost world around us, what does that say about our faith in Christ? To be clear, I'm not saying that it's wrong for you to make money. Make money, right? But if it's your goal in life, I'm I'm just telling you right now, you're going to be disappointed. You're just going to be disappointed. We're to make money. Why? Because we're to support ourselves and support others. 
It's what it means to be a Christian. It's, you're not just about you. It's placing you at the center, though. But over and over in Scripture, what we see, what we see is we see godly rich celebrated. We absolutely see that. Even in the book of Luke, we've seen uh, the, the hospitable home of Mary and Martha where they invited Jesus in and they fed him and, and they loved him. We know Lydia, who was a, a fine seller of purple goods. She was making bankroll and she was starting to fund a church plant in Philippi. We know about the centurion who built a synagogue to God's people. If there's any rich centurions here and want to build us a building, we would like that. Thank you very much. But all these people were rich towards God. I think that's really important to understand here. They had money, but money didn't have them. That's the difference. They had money, but money did not have them. So the question to you is, do you have money or does money have you? Because I could have said that and we could have been done a long time ago. Because that's all I've been saying for this last however long. Why do I take so long to just drill into your head and pray that the Lord drills it into your heart? I'll tell you why. Because we live in a materialistic world. It's very consumeristic in nature. It bombards us with this message of success, of having more things, living a better life will lead us to a fulfilled life. We will actually flourish. Advertisers lure people in with this false assurance that everything will be okay if you just have a little more and you fill in the blank of what the little more is. You get a little more and it doesn't do anything except actually make you more anxious. Are you on guard? That's the question. It doesn't work. So, and if you don't believe the Bible, then believe Notorious B.I.G. who says, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> right? Like, the lost world knows it. And yet the church sometimes will fall for this trap. Which is why a life centered on riches rather than on Christ is, is absolutely a life that's headed towards death and destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. So the question becomes this. How do we become rich towards God? Because that, that is the question. Hopefully the, the man in the parable is starting to hear that and he's thinking, how do I become rich towards God then? That is the question. And this is where a lot of people will actually twist the scripture and start saying it's time to sell all your, your money, right? Oh, sell your money. Give all your money away. Get the Roth IRAs. Cash them all in. Go get a tent, right? Make sure it's a nice one because you're going to live in it for the rest of your life. Give away, give away, give away. Get broke. Give it to the church. But that's, that's actually not the case here. It's not the case here. The question, once again, you can be generous, rich. You can be generous, poor. Or let's call it righteous, rich, righteous, poor. You can be unrighteous, rich. You can be unrighteous, poor. The condition of your heart. Where does your heart find satisfaction? Where does your heart find contentment? Where, what are the things you're putting your ultimate hope in? Is it your seven-bedroom house, or is it the fact that Jesus has created a home for me to live with God forever? That's the question. So 
you got to get this, and, and we keep preaching it. Jesus keeps drilling it to us and saying this. Don't forget how Jesus interprets the Scripture. Over and over, what we've seen in Luke is this, that the undaunting truth is that Jesus places this. He places the gift before the demand. Get that. Right? He, he, what he's doing is he's saying divine grace comes before human response or effort. How do you get rich? You receive. How do you get rich in heaven? You receive. You receive what? You receive Christ. This is the point, ready, of the text, according to Scott. <laughs> Attempting to find life in the abundance of things is fool's gold. Okay? Abundant life is only found in Jesus who is true treasure. That's the point. It's in your little map. You can look at it. You can think about it. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to look at one last text for the rest of our time. Ready? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You'll be shocked to know it comes back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be shocked to know it always comes back to Jesus Christ. Not you, not me. And hopefully, you'll not be shocked when you hear that because it's always about him. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Now think about how rich Jesus is. He's God. And we just read earlier, he owns all things. It's all his. That's pretty wealthy. That's pretty wealthy. Yet, it says, for your sake, he became poor. He left heaven, right? He, he became human. Why? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is how you become rich towards God. Do You see, in order to be a giver, you first must be a receiver of grace. You need a heart that, that isn't longing for all the things because your heart is settled in the fact that I have Christ and Christ has me. And that's real life. That's abundantly rich. Please note that, that grace is, is, is so much more than a something. It's a someone, right? Grace is, is Jesus Christ in the flesh. When we come to receive grace, what we're saying is we receive Jesus. We receive his perfect life. We receive his substitutionary death. We trust in the fact and believe and know that he resurrected from the grave, that he is now ascended to the Father, that he is ruling and that he is reigning. And what he is saying is, you want to be rich? Come to me. All who are weak and all who are weary, all who are trying to, to get your 401k figured out. He's saying, do that, but listen, you want to be wealthy? Come to Jesus, this is what he says, come to me to receive. To receive what is the question? Forgiveness of sins? How? Because Jesus died in your place. But he doesn't just give you forgiveness of sins, although that would be wonderful. He also gives you righteousness, his perfect life. So this means, if it's, if it's meant to be, it's not actually up to me. It's up to Jesus Christ, who I trust and believe in. And I'm trusting him. And so he gives you forgiveness of sins. He gives you righteousness. But here's the other thing he does. He adopts you into his family. When you receive Jesus by faith, by putting your faith and your trust in him, turning, repenting, 
believing the good news of Jesus Christ, trusting in Jesus who is himself grace, what you get is you get brought into the family of God. You must be born again. The only way to be born again is to believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And when you are born again, you're born into the family of God. And that means your father owns all things. And so if you don't own all things right now, it's okay. It's okay. Why? Because you're an inheritor. You receive all the things that Jesus has done for you. So this means, listen, your health may struggle till you die. People don't actually hit the treadmill on the way up as they get older. Things start to fail, right? It means if you're in a, in a trailer or a tent the rest of your life, it's for a moment. How long is that moment? A mist. James says it's a mist. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Then what? Then you have the life that you already have because believe it or not, Jesus Christ, he has purchased your eternal life with him now. Now. You don't die to get life with God. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you have life with him now. He's done everything. Do you believe him? Have you trusted in him? Will you believe in him? You can't make yourself rich towards God. You, you can't. It's absolutely impossible. It's impossible for a broken machine to fix itself. Right? Or as another theologian said, I love this, can someone sinking in a swamp pull himself out by tugging upward on his own hair? The answer is no. If you'd like to try, we could figure that out today at the picnic, and we'll video it, and it will become viral. How do you become rich towards God? You, you quit chasing fool's gold and you pursue Christ. That's how. That's how. You receive. You become a generous person by becoming a greedy receiver of God's grace. Each day you wake up and you say, God, I need more of you. God, I, may I decrease. May you increase. God, will you keep my heart steady upon you? And then when your heart begins to drift, and it will drift, don't be surprised when it happens. Just confess. Just confess. Why? So, so that he'll forgive you? No, because he has. Quit believing the lie. Just confess. Oh, Lord, here I go again. I almost sung a white snake, white snake song. <laughs> confess. What? That I'm buying into the lie again that more stuff would make my heart happy. But actually, the only one who can make my heart happy is you. Oh, Lord, give me the grace to believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe and trust in you. And help me to understand that you've done it all. You've done it all. And that I can be generous with the things you've given me because none of them are mine. So I can be generous with my time. I can be generous with my home. Oh, wait. It's not my time. Oh, wait, it's not my home. Oh, wait, it's not my money. It's all yours. You own it all. And so I just want to be a living sacrifice to you. That's the life of the Christian. That's what it means. But we don't become a living sacrifice to get salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, because Jesus became our sacrifice in our place. And he's made a way for us to be rich forever with him. So if you're in Christ, 
and Christ is in you, you're the wealthiest person in all the world. Rest assured. Rest assured he's done it all. Why? Because he loves you. And he's done it all. What more must I do? Nothing. Just believe in him who he sent to make you rich. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, you're like, well, what must we do? He'll do it. Why? Because not only does he give you his grace, he gives you his spirit, and his spirit dwells in all who believe, and he begins to produce a generous heart and a generous life. Why? Because you understand we worship a generous God. So we praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, thank you for coming to live the life that we could not live and dying the death that you and I, everyone in this room, deserve to die. But you did not deserve to die, but you willingly did so that you might give us access to the throne room so that we could be children of God by faith alone, by trusting in you alone. Lord, you are so generous. So generous that you've given yourself for our salvation. God, transform us into the people who joyfully lay down our lives each and every day to worship you, to love you, to know you. Not so that you'll love us, but because you have. God, help us do that work in our hearts. Create in us a heart that's more generous, more loving more full of compassion and grace and mercy so that as we interact with the people in this city that are made in your image, we can tell them about our great God who's done all things so that we might be abundantly wealthy in you. God, create that heart in this church. Lord, reveal to us anything that just may be adrift where we're hoping and longing for things that that actually won't bring about security, but more anxiety. And and God, create in us a heart that that can see that, that's tender towards you, a heart that that hears and, and responds to your word and doesn't run from you when you reveal our sin, but actually runs to you knowing that all our sin has been paid for. And therefore, we don't need to be afraid of anything or anyone because all of the fear has been swallowed up on the cross in the grave and we have been resurrected with you and you've done it all. Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.